Okay, so welcome to Coffee, Eggs and Inspiration. It's a weekly show that goes out over YouTube and as a podcast over all of the major channels. And each week I get to generally physically sit with an inspiring person. Today it's virtually, of course, from COVID lockdown, and listen to them tell their story and share it with all of you. Uh, today is no different and this week is no different. I'm here today with Benjamin Hay. Welcome, Benjamin. Hey, how you doing? Yeah, really well. Um, I think the way that we're doing this, we're using Google Meet. So when I'm speaking, it's me on screen. It's, uh, when you're, you're speaking, it's you on screen. Um, it'll be mostly you on screen. But let me start by giving you the customary introduction. So Benjamin is the co-founder and chief operating officer of Collective Benefits. Collective Benefits is an insure tech, that's insurance technology, platform for self-employed workers in the UK, the so-called gig economy, freelancers, uh, in other words. And it provides a uh, sort of a collective uh, mechanism for things like sick pay, uh, health support, childcare, accident care, wellness, and other perks. Um, so for that sort of collective uh, economy, and I think six million people uh, in the UK alone are uh, in, that, in that style of employment. Self-employment. Um, previously, um, Benjamin's got a really interesting background. Uh, what I describe as an archipelago career. Started as a business consultant with Arthur Anderson uh, all of those years ago. Uh, uh, was a barrister for eight years. Uh, so like me, a recovering lawyer. And uh, then went on um, through a program called On Purpose as a fellow. Uh, that's a year-long leadership development program, um, which Benjamin earlier described to me as his sort of uh, finding himself uh, process, uh, and then fell into the, uh, the, the arms of Virgin Unite, uh, which is the entrepreneurial foundation of the Virgin Group um, in a strategy and operations role, which is actually the same role uh, I do uh, at Google. So we have a lot in common in terms of background. Um, super interested to get into this and explore uh, with you, Benjamin. Uh, the first thing I want to ask, and, and it's certainly a question that I get asked a lot, is why all of these pivots? Why, wh what takes you from business consulting into law, and not just law, it's like hardcore court work, right, barrister, into uh, entrepreneurship? Yeah, uh, it's one of those things where I wish I had a really succinct and wonderful answer to that, and I could tell you that I planned all sorts of things out. Um, I think I was always, as a, as a kid, one of those people who was horrendously jealous of someone who knew what they wanted to do with their life. You know, people who knew they wanted to be doctors or lawyers or whatever else it was. And I, I don't think I ever really knew, and I still don't think I ever really know. Um, there are just things that I'm interested in and want to do, and uh, life is too short not to try them. So along the way, uh, I've done things, I've enjoyed them, some more than others. Uh, and uh, I think I've just found uh, you know, the time is right to try and do different stuff. And I think I've been fortunate to be able to do that. Fantastic. And um, But uh, did you find that scary? You know, as you were, let's say, you made the decision, obviously, eight years into a legal career uh, to then jump uh, into a leadership development program, obviously, with a, 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 a view to doing something else. Was that a hard decision to make? Um, yeah, look, it was tough. I think you, you spend time building up a practice and a reputation and um, you know, trying, to, trying to advance and, uh, and, and in what is a competitive field. Um, and um, someone once said to me, never, never cut what you can untie. 
Um, and I think the fortunate thing about being a barrister is that I could keep my place in chambers uh, for a period of time whilst I experimented with trying to do something different. And so whilst I made the leap, I did the leap with sort of very large uh, safety net attached to me if I ever needed to go back. Um, so more of a bungee jump, perhaps. More of a bungee jump. Well, bungee jumps are still scary, right? Never cut what you can untie there. I'm going to borrow that. Um, excellent. And, uh, and, and what is it that drew you from the law into the sort of more entrepreneur you're a founder of a startup right now right so yeah and, and that journey i think was partly driven by my time at virgin unite but i think in yeah when i went through the the journey of being a lawyer i looked at what i really loved doing and what i really loved doing was um trying to work on something of public importance trying to really help someone along the way um, and trying to have a bigger impact through my work um, and whilst i i love law um legal london is quite a narrow place as you know the kind of square mile of uh of, of, of law firms and barristers and all that kind of stuff uh, and i just want to do something which i think was just bigger and more expansive um and you know fortune of virgin united i got that opportunity fantastic well did you do you find that you missed wearing the the wig i don't know about you but i miss wearing the wig it's downstairs somewhere in the house and uh, every now and then i get it out just to make the kids laugh but yeah it's uh you know, it's an amazing career, an amazing profession, the bar, and um, I, I'm really glad I did it, um, but no regrets as well. It is. I, I agree. A little little side story on the wig. Uh, obviously, you worked uh, at a more salubrious place. We we had a, uh, the firm that I was at had a shared uh, pool of wigs. I think we <laughs> had about four or five, and you had to book them out if you are going to go to court. And many of the uh, colleagues I worked with in those days were... Um, rather large, bald men, and uh, who sweated profusely, uh, particularly in the more uh, sunny climate um, that, that we were in. So it wasn't always a pleasant experience putting the horse's hair wig on. Um, there's a story from the past. I haven't practiced in 35 years. But I always, when I wore mine, I always felt like I was better at my job. I don't know what that is. It's something about, you know, being in a uniform, feeling prepared. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Some sort of, some sort of mask we wear, I guess. Yeah, I think very much so. So tell, tell me more about collective benefits. It's a really intriguing value proposition. Yeah, so the, I mean, the problem we're trying to solve is uh, the financial wellness and safety net for self-employed people, gig workers. Um, as you mentioned, there are 6 million of, of them in the UK. And fundamentally, being self-employed is amazing. You know, I was self-employed as a barrister. You get lots of freedom, flexibility. Uh, you know, you can pick and choose. But what you fundamentally lack is all the great things I had at Virgin as an employee. Uh, I turned up on day one, I had sick pay, uh, I had pension contributions, I had um, uh, access to a great uh, uh, family leave policy, perks, discounts, health insurance, and all the sorts of things which you know, attract, retain, and engage your, your team. Um, but self-employed people don't have any of that. You know, they're much more exposed. And that's something which we've obviously seen in recent months um, with, with COVID-19. Um, and so we're trying to solve that problem for them. So how does it work? What are the mechanics? If you're a, a freelance worker, a gig economy worker, what, uh, what, are, what do you do? Yeah, so we have, we have I suppose, two, two routes to market. So we partner with gig economy platforms um, to provide our benefits to their, to their workers and working um, communities. 
Um, so uh, they are able to become members of Collective. Um, the gig platform contributes or pays for all of their membership, including some of their benefits. Um, and they join our they join our, our, our digital platform. Um, one of the things we accelerated because of COVID was our direct to consumer offering. You know, we were aware of a, a you know, significant number of freelancers who were exposed. Uh, and so they too can join as members of our of our membership club uh, and be part of collective benefits and uh, pick the benefits and, and rewards that they that they would like. Interesting. And based on that selection, I guess they pay some sort of substitution and that then um, yeah, it's an insurance type. Yeah, we, we, we have a mixture of um, insurance products uh, and then non-insurance products. Um, and we're starting to expand out more broadly into financial wellness. So think about some of the things you can do with open banking as well and savings. Right. Okay. And have you have you had a have you noticed an uplift since COVID nineteen and lockdown and the circumstances? You know, are, are you are you getting more interest through than you have in the past? Yeah, I, mean, I think we we definitely saw a kind of a big uptick uh, in interest and inquiries um, and um, and just general uh, you know, whether that was both from consumers or from platforms. You know, people both want to do the right thing and protect themselves. And um, I think what COVID fundamentally did was it, it just brought to people the front of mind problem, which people knew about, but pushed off. You know, the reality is no one wakes up in the morning thinking, you know what I really want to do today? I really want to go out and buy some insurance. Uh, that's not top of people's mind. And uh, it, it fundamentally changed that. It pushed that kind of nagging worry to the, to the front of people's mind. Um, and I think we'll see that continue, you know, as and when things start to improve as well. For, for sure. You know, it's, uh, it's teaching all of us a new perspective on life in, in many dimensions. Uh, interested, you know, as a, as a person who runs a business in the gig economy, I'm really interested in your perspectives um, about what this period will, will do, uh, you know, both positive and negative um, for the employment situation and the sort of division between the gig economy and, and the more sort of formal employment um, type, type workers. Yeah, and it's, I mean, I think, I think the first thing it's done is that it's brought, I think, just to, to most people's attention, how, how important and how much we rely upon gig economy and gig workers. Um, and we're not, you know, yes, we're talking about the delivery drivers, logistic drivers, you know, the people bringing your Amazon parcels or whatever else it might be, or food deliveries and things over the last over the last few months. Um, but we're also talking about medical professionals. You know, the NHS um, relies upon significant banks of self-employed doctors to meet their urgent requirements, um, and those staffing needs are incredibly pressing at the moment. So I think it's fundamentally altered how we value gig economy workers um, uh, within society. The question now is, what do we do to show how that, that you know, how do we show that value to those individuals? How do we show that they matter in the same way as their employees? What is the, what is the social contract that needs to be in place with them as, uh, as, as contributors to our economy? Yeah, yeah. I think it's, uh, you know, looking at the numbers, I think the trend of gig economy workers in the style that you describe is, is only uh, increasing and will continue to increase uh, in, in the time ahead. So it sounds like you're in a good place. Not easy running a business though, right? You're a founder. Uh, so what have been some of the, uh, what, what some of the mistakes and things that you've learned from along the way as, uh, as you've navigated uh, the, the road that you're on on collective benefits? Yeah, I think, um... It's interesting, I had this conversation with someone the other day, and I think 
I think people wear sort of like entrepreneurship, like a cross on their back, like the weight of being an entrepreneur. Um, and I'm not sure I subscribe to that. Like, you know, we're, yeah, you know, I'm fortunate. I've got a great business partner, great team, um, and we're building a business. And you're, you know, I think the the thing that I've learned is it's not going to be perfect from day one. And you need to just keep improving and refining uh, and just trying to keep moving forward, even when things are difficult. And, you know, you get a little bit of luck on the way. You know, we were lucky. We, we closed the funding round at the end of January, um, which means we're well positioned to ride out what is a very difficult time economically. Um, but it's still hard. You know, you still want to, to, be, to be trying to you know, grow as quickly as possible um help as many people as possible support you know your team around you as much as possible and we've had to learn to adapt in multiple ways over the last few months yes i think adaptability is the new superpower right in the in the covid19 age and lots of business businesses are sort of pivoting in a really interesting way closing your funding round in january uh 2020 what a serendipitous event that was uh and well timed <laughs> yeah look yeah absolutely i mean it, you know that's you need a bit of luck and that's a very significant bit of luck. So uh, yeah, it, it set us up nicely for just to kind of have a bit of time and a bit of patience to, to ride out the, the, this period, as well as invest in really improving our products and services. So you know, when things do pick up, we hopefully will have a much better better offering for people. Well, this is the pattern from last, uh, you know, past recessions, those who invest wisely uh, in the dip uh, emerged strongly as a result. So uh, great that you've got that um, uh, that war chest, so to speak. And think about you know Britain as as we emerge, um, hopefully from the from the crisis. Uh, and you think about you know people like my my son who's eighteen, uh, others who are young and maybe thinking about uh, a career, uh, or indeed. Um, some people who may be thinking about a, a mid or late career pivot what what advice as somebody who's an expert in pivoting uh from a personal <laughs> what, what what advice would you have for them um i think you can sound really cliched and some of this stuff like you know you should you should do things that you enjoy in life if you have that opportunity um you know you you need to decide what's important to you uh, and and uh work out what those factors are and be true to them. Um, and if something isn't quite you know, meeting all those requirements, um, then find the things that do. Um, that's not to say, and I, and I do stress this, and I stress this particularly to young people, that's not to say don't stick at things as well. Um, you know, you, when I you know, look at my CV, and yes, I've, I've spent done different things, but I spent chunks of time doing different things. Um, and I think you need to have a bit of a tour of duty somewhere. You need to build up experience. Um, that just makes you, you know, better set up to succeed in whatever else you go on to do. Yeah, I think that's great advice, actually. It's uh, often overlooked. You know, variety is great, but experience tourism uh, won't necessarily hold, you know, be, be, uh, be, be contributing strongly to, uh, to a future. But um, great advice, uh, you know, find something you like and do it. Uh, I hear that a lot on this uh, channel when I meet people. I've never heard never cut what you can't untie. So you've left us with something golden there that's something, something unique. 
and uh, you know your your path is an inspiration, and uh, and 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 the business is uh, is a fantastic idea. So, uh, thanks so much, Benjamin Hay, for joining us. Really appreciate it. Pleasure. Thank you very much. Great chat.